I want to begin this morning by asking us a question, and that is, are you a forgetful person? <laughs> by your laughter, I'm guessing that some of you are. Do you regularly lose your keys, your wallet, your phone? Uh, being on staff here, I know that many of you are forgetful people because we constantly find Bibles and coats and other things in this room. But are you a forgetful person? Maybe for you it's not stuff, but it's conversations or requests. Um, your spouse or your boss or your teacher asks you to do something, you agree to do it, and you just straight up forget. It's not that you're intending not to do it, but you just forget about it. Are you a forgetful person? What about spiritually? Are you a forgetful person spiritually? We just celebrated Thanksgiving um, a little over a week ago as a church, we had night of thanks, and we remembered all the ways that we're thankful for God for moving our lives. We use that holiday to kind of cultivate thankfulness to our God. But do you find yourself already moving on and forgetting all the good works that God has done in your life? Are you a forgetful person? Let me pray briefly, and then we'll jump into the Word here this morning. Um, dear my Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the text that we have in front of us today. I thank you that um, we're up, we're here today not to hear just some person say their opinions, but we're here to hear from you. And God, I just pray that through your word, um, you'd be changing our hearts to be more and more like you. Through your word, you'd be teaching us more about yourself. And through your word, you'd help us to be more and more obedient out of our love for you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd be honored here today. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help show us um, really our need of you, that you'd help show us how fickle we often can be. But in that, in showing us our weakness, you would show us how strong that you are. You'd show us how faithful you are and how you keep all of your promises and that you are a good God. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd be honored in our time this morning and that you'd be honored as we open your word together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you are new to Faith Church, my name is Ryan Sickinger. I get the privilege of serving as the family pastor here, overseeing the children's and youth ministry. So if you haven't seen me on Sunday morning, it's probably because I'm chasing around a kid somewhere in the back over there. Um, but welcome. Glad you're here. It's my privilege to be opening God's Word with you this morning. And this morning we are continuing through the book of Exodus. We've been in this all semester now. And just in case you forgot, I, I started asking if you're a forgetful person, and most of you laughed. Um, let's go ahead and quickly recap all that we've seen in the book of Exodus, because we've covered quite a bit thus far. The book of Exodus opens up, and we see Israel, the people, the Hebrews, the Israelite people, increasing greatly in the land of Egypt. Um, in other words, they were having lots of babies. And this was a problem for Pharaoh. He saw this as a threat to his leadership into his power into his authority so he did two things one he enslaved the people and two he put out this wicked decree that the first um, born son or really any son not the firstborn son any son born to an israelite woman would be killed by being thrown in the nile river so things were not going well in the land of egypt for the israelites in the midst of all that happening moses this baby boy was born and out of fear that he would be killed his mother hid him but when it became too long to hide him anymore, she devised this plan to send him down the Nile River in a basket to be intercepted by the daughter of Pharaoh. And that's exactly what happened. So we see a lot of irony happen early on in Moses' life. He should have been killed 
by being thrown into the river, yet he was saved through the river. Um, and rather than being killed by Pharaoh, he ends up growing up in Pharaoh's house. So it's an ironic beginning for Moses. But Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house. He grows up in luxury. And as he grows up in this house um, and grows older, he um, fast forward a little bit, he encounters this argument between this Egyptian, this Israelite, and he tries to step in because the Egyptian was beating the Israelite. And so we can assume he had good intentions. He was trying to stand up for one of his people, but he went way too far. He ended up killing the Egyptian, and as a result, he had to flee from Egypt because of it. So Moses flees from Egypt. He's able to make it out safely. And fast forward a little bit, he gets married, and he's working as a shepherd, and God encounters him there in the field through a burning bush. And he tells him to go back to Egypt and to save his people. And although he was a little reluctant and wasn't too excited about the plan, he got on board. He went back to Egypt. And with the help of his brother, he went before Pharaoh asking that God's people be let go from the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh was stubborn. He was hard-hearted and he was not quick to release the Israelites. And so what we see is God did these 10 miraculous signs or these 10 plagues um, on the people of Egypt in order to secure their exodus and to show his power. And as Mike has been pointing out, to prove that he was far greater than all of their other gods. We saw the great Nile River turn to blood. Frogs, gnats, and flies filled the land. Livestock were killed. The people were covered with boils. Hail destroyed. Locusts swarmed. Darkness covered the land. And finally, the firstborn son of everyone not covered by the blood of the lamb was killed. The people of Egypt went through a lot. And the Israelites saw God move in a lot of very tangible ways. And finally, last week, we got to see Egypt or Israel finally exit Egypt, the exodus. They finally made it out. God secured their salvation. And so, and we celebrated all the good work that God had done. You remember last year, or last week, we were cheering, we were excited at all that God had done. And so go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 17 today. And today we are going over a text in Exodus that most of you will be very familiar with. Even if you're new to church or new to the Bible, just through movies or, or different things, you've heard about this story before, I almost guarantee you. But my prayer is that as we spend some time in the text this morning, the Lord will be opening our eyes afresh to the truth and relevance within this text for us today. The reason I spent some time recapping the book of Exodus and asking that initial question of are we forgetful and then going through the book of Exodus is because we're going to see in this text very forgetful people. In fact, pretty much everyone in this text is going to forget what happened except Moses and God. The entire story is filled with fickle people. But I don't think the main point of this text is the fickleness of the people. And we're, we're going to talk at length about how fickle they are. But the main point of this text is not how fickle the people are. Right? That just builds a contrast. We have this extremely faithless people, and in the midst of that, God's faithfulness is all the more on full display. And I hope we see that. So I have nothing up my sleeve. Where we're going today is as Christians, we can have confidence in our faithful God. As Christians, we can have confidence in our faithful God. Maybe to state it the inverse, if you're a note taker, write this. Because of our faithful God, 
we can have confidence. It's because of our faithful God, we can have confidence. Now I'm going to go ahead and read God's Word. If you have a Bible again in front of you, it's a decently long section we're going to cover. But rather than break it into chunks, I want to read this text in its entirety because as a narrative, it's really compelling. When you see how the people respond and how God acts in this text, it's really quite miraculous. And so open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 17 and go all the way through chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles available in the lobby. I encourage you to go back there, grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, take that home with you today. So let's go ahead and read the word of the Lord together. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. Chapter 14, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Heroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I, God, will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh in all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped by the sea by Pi-Heroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. 
The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went before them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud of darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of that the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Amen. And so we see really two main contrasting figures in this text. You might notice I titled the sermon Fickle People and a Faithful God. And to start, I want us to start off by looking at the fickle people throughout this text. Um, and rather than breaking down my different points into different sections, really we're going to pull from different parts of the narrative to make these points, because really I see this as one unit, um, and so I don't want to break it up in that way. But to start, let's look at how fickle these people were. If maybe you're not familiar with the word fickle, you don't use that all the time. That means changing frequently, especially as regards to one's loyalties, interest, or affection. And how true is that of so many of the people in this text? And the first thing we are going to see, the first sub-point, is that they are cowards. 
The thing about fickle people is that they are always cowards. When you do not have firm loyalties, commitments, and faith, you have no foundation for courage. Fickle people thus are prone to be very fearful. They're prone to be cowards. And as we look at the text this morning, we see two instances of totally irrational cowardice on behalf of the Israelites. The first is at the very beginning of the text that we're looking at. Look at chapter 13, verse 17, and we see that God did not lead them the way of the Philistines. Why did he do that? Because he was afraid that they would run in fear back to Egypt that he just freed them from. And to add insult to injury, if you keep reading in verse 18, it says, And the people of Israel went out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Not only was God with them, not only had he been fighting for them over and over and over again, but these people were a million plus strong, equipped for battle, yet they would have tucked their tail between their legs and ran back to Egypt. God knew that. We also see an example of extreme cowardice in chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. I'll go ahead and read this again. This is as the Egyptian horde is descending on them at the edge of the sea. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. Listen to their response. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses, is it, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? He saved them. <laughs> is not this what we, were, we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? That's not how I remember the story. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and to die in the wilderness. These were the same Egyptians that were throwing their children into the river. What do you mean it would be better to serve them? Where's their loyalty? Where's their strength? Where's their courage? Do they not know that they are the people of God after all they've been through? Do they not know after all of this that God is fighting for them? Reminds me of an encounter in the Gospels as the disciples were out at sea on a boat and this great storm came and the boat was rocking and all the disciples were freaking out. They all thought they were going to die, right? Most of you are probably familiar with this. What, what did they forget? That God was with them. Jesus was sleeping comfortably, right? He knew it was okay, but they forgot. Are you a fearful person? Do you find yourself afraid of what others think of you, of your safety, maybe even your financial security? Are you a fearful person? And let me just ask you a question. If so, is that fear rooted more in faith in God or lack of faith? I think if we're honest, we know that our fear is rooted in a lack of faith when we are fearful. And this next point we're going to move to is potentially even more frightening and honestly, at least for me, it's much easier to relate to, and it's really a consistent theme throughout the entirety of Scripture that they forget the works of God. These fickle people forget the works of God. And remember the context of the book of Exodus as we get to this text. Think of all that God has done against the Egyptians and for the Israelites. 
Think of the last plague of Passover and the fact that because of God's mighty hand, Israel was freed from slavery. It was because God's mighty hand that Egypt was forced to let them go. But people are fickle. They forget the works of God. But in saying all of that, I'm not just talking about God's people. Let's start by looking at the fickleness and forgetfulness of the Egyptians. Look at chapter 14, verse 5. It says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? Are you joking? After all that God has done to you to force you to let them go, you think you're the one who just one day decide, oh, I'll just let, let go of this entire labor force we have enslaved. They were devastated. They had nothing left. This was their last resort to let these people go. But they forgot. Unfortunately, it's not just the Egyptians that we can point at and blame for forgetting the works of God. In fact, Israel is probably even worse at that in this text. I want to read again chapter 14, verse 10 through 12, because it's just so vivid. And think of all that God has done, and now they've forgotten this. When Pharaoh drew near the people of Israel, Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us? And bringing us out of Egypt, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. How many times is this true of us daily? Think of this. We all just celebrated Thanksgiving. We used that national holiday to remember all that God has done in our life. But how many of us come Friday morning... We're already jumping into consumerism mode, looking at all the Black Friday deals and just consumed with covetousness for all the things that we don't have. How quickly do we forget all that God has provided for us, all that he's done? Often, a matter of seconds. Do you ever wonder why God puts up with people like us? No, I do. Are you ever shocked how quickly you can move from the mountaintop of faith to the valley floor of rebellion? Do you ever feel like the longer you follow Jesus, the more broken and rebellious you realize you really are? This text should humble us. should remind us of how fickle of a people we can be. These people arguably saw one of the greatest manifestations of the power of God ever to happen on earth. And moments later, they almost entirely forget what he did. But praise God, despite all this fickleness, despite all this faithlessness, the main takeaway from the story shouldn't be the response of the people. The main takeaway from this text isn't that people utterly blew it, even though they definitely did that. The main takeaway isn't even that they were cowards or forgetful. But I think all those realities helps build the contrast that will amplify the main point of God's total faithfulness throughout this passage. There's so much in this text regarding God's faithfulness that I simply won't be able to in detail describe every point or instance of it. 
But my prayer is, however, that as we move through this, we'll see the massive weight of the character and faithfulness of God to these fickle people. God is faithful. So let's quickly look through this text all the ways that God is faithful. The first is we see that this faithful God leads his people. This faithful God, he leads his people. We open with this great encounter of the pillar of cloud and fire leading the people. And God did not depart from them, it says at the end of 13. So not only does God lead them by day and by night in this miraculous way as they are leaving Egypt towards the sea, but he does not depart from them. I pray that's an encouragement to you. As God leads us, he does not depart from us. He does not leave us. And then in chapter 14, verse 19, we see that this faithful God leads his people through the water. He makes for them a wall on their left and their right, and they walk through this amazing sea on dry ground with the faithful leading of God. And not only does he lead them through, but he also protects them from behind as the Egyptian forces are coming in after them. This faithful God leads his people. We also see that this faithful God receives glory for his works. Look at chapter 14, verse 4. He says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. We see that God gets glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. We see in chapter 14, 17 through 18, again, he says he'll get glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And just throughout this text, over and over again, it affirms that God will receive glory for this work that he's about to accomplish. We see in chapter 14, verse 25, that Egypt acknowledges him as Lord before the waves crash in on him, just as he says they will. That's part of him receiving glory for what he's done. And then at the very end of the text in 1431, we see that Israel saw the power of the Lord, they feared the Lord, and they believed the Lord. All this work that God's doing, it's so that he would be glorified. One thing that Pastor Mike pointed out to me as we were going over the text this morning that's really helpful is this is actually the first instance we see of God receiving glory in the entire book of Exodus. And from here on out, that's going to be part of the narrative of God receiving glory for the works that he's doing and for who he is and who his character is. But this is the first instance of that. I think that's important to note. This faithful God receives glory for his works because he's worthy of it. We also see that this faithful God is sovereign over all his creation. You may ask, what does God's sovereignty have to do with his faithfulness? That is that it enables it. Without it, however well-intentioned God may be, what if people make the wrong decision? What if people mess it up? What if they screw up the plan? Then even though he wanted to be faithful, he probably couldn't be, right? But because God is sovereign over all his creation, that enables his faithfulness. And we see that throughout this text. For example, say I wanted to accomplish world peace. I told all of you guys, a year from now, I will have accomplished world peace because that'd be a great thing to do, right? However well-intentioned I may be, would I be found faithful to my word? No. So it's not within my power to do that. I'm not sovereign. I can't control people in that way. I can't create world peace. But God, because he's sovereign, that enables him to accomplish 
All these sets out to do that enables his faithfulness. And one of the ways that we see his sovereignty play out in this text over and over and over again is the hardening of Pharaoh and the Egyptians' hearts. I mean, we see it in chapter 14 in verse 4, verse 8, and verse 17. Over and over and over again, he says he will harden their hearts in order for him to be glorified, in order to him to accomplish this. And take note of this. No human can thwart the plans of a sovereign and faithful God. No human can mess up his plans. God will be found faithful. That should be a great encouragement to us. But we also see God's sovereignty over his creation played out in what this text is so often known for, right? The parting of the Red Sea, this miraculous event. The Lord parts the Red Sea and then he closes it in on the Egyptians. No created thing can thwart the plans of a sovereign and faithful God. Not people, not stuff, definitely not a sea. Certain progressive biblical scholars want to make this an unmiraculous event by saying, no, 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 they didn't go through the Red Sea, they went through the Reed Sea, which is another sea in the area. It's really like a pond, and if waters were low, they could have easily just walked through it. And so some biblical scholars want to say, oh, no, 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 this wasn't the Red Sea. That's, this is a little unbelievable. This is a little hard to swallow. I'm sure it was just the Reed Sea. They do this because they want to take, make this text and they want to make the Bible more believable. It's not our job to make the Bible believable. It's our job to believe the Bible. And just think for a second, if God could speak these things into existence, do you not think that he could part them? He spoke this sea into existence. He created it. It answers to him. This faithful God is sovereign over all his creation. What an encouragement. We also see that this faithful God brings about great assurance. He brings about great assurance. Read with me in chapter 14, verse 13, where it says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And then listen to this. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Then what does he do? He wipes them out later in the narrative. And why does this bring about great assurance? Because so long as Egypt had their army, that was always going to be in the back of their minds. What if they pursue us? What if they come after us again? What if they enslave us again? This is honestly not a point that I'd really thought of, but Pastor Joe brought up in our meeting, and he's so right that Egypt at this point literally has nothing. Their workforce has been demolished. Their crops have been ruined. Their gold and valuables have been plundered. And now their great powerful army has been destroyed. These people have been wiped out. And what does this have to do with assurance? Because now God's people know that this is finished. This salvation is accomplished and it's final. This faithful God brings about great assurance. Then my favorite point of all, the one I wish we could just talk about all day, every day, but it's this faithful God secures salvation for his people. Amen. We see 
through this entire encounter that God works about this incredible salvation as this massive army is descending upon them. Literally, God handles it every step of the way. And just as Moses proclaimed as he was rebuking the Israelites for the cowardice, he says, all you have to do is be silent. God does everything in the salvation works. He makes the way for their salvation. He protects them. And then he is the one that conquers their enemy. God secures salvation for his people. They are no longer slaves. Their freedom is finalized at this point. Now, for us here today, we're, we're not slaves, at least not in the sense that they were. We're not under the rule of an oppressive government that's forcing us into slavery. It may feel like that when you pay your taxes in a few months, but I can assure you that we are not slaves like these people were slaves. But Romans 6 says that we are slaves. In Romans chapter 6, it says that we are slaves to sin. And much of the fickleness of the people in this text, our sin plays out in very similar ways. These people are very fickle. Well, our sin plays out in very similar ways. Romans 1.25, speaking of being giving over to sin, it says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, our sin is not mere ignorance of God's works. It's not mere ignorance of who God is. It's an exchanging of the truth of God for a lie, which really is just an example of fickleness, right? It's shifting loyalties away from our creator to created things. We are fickle, but God is faithful. And speaking of our faithful God saving us from our slavery to sin, listen to what God's words say to us in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This is the first text I ever preach on. I love this passage. If you have not spent a lot of time in Ephesians 2, you should fix that this afternoon. But listen to what we as sinners contribute to our salvation. And listen to what God contributes. This is the word of the Lord, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The best two words in Scripture. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Listen, fickle people, listen, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. The Israelites certainly couldn't boast here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our faithful God secures salvation for his people. But this is not based on our performance. It is based on his leading, his glory, his sovereignty, and his assurance. It is our faithful God who accomplishes our salvation, not us. So what then should our response be? We're fickle, God's faithful, so what, what, what do we do with that? I think we have a great example of how to respond in Moses. Now, Moses blows it quite a bit in the book of Exodus. He has some moments where he's shown quite faithless, quite cowardly. This is not one of them. Moses responds actually incredibly well here. Let's read again Moses' words in response to his people that are just terrified and freaking out. He says in verse 13, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So here we see Moses in the midst of a faithless people respond with faith and confidence and boldness, not in himself, not in the Israelites who are armed for battle, but in his faithful God. And he does so proactively, right? Like right after this, they could have been slaughtered by the Egyptians. But he is confident. He's bold. He knows that God will do it. Then in 1431, we see Israel respond correctly. It's a little late, but they get there. Um, Let's read verse 31. It says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. I hope today that you've seen the great power of the Lord. So then how should we respond? So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Maybe today you need to have confidence for things that are in front of you. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're struggling through infertility. Maybe you're facing a lot of pressure at work. Maybe you're about to experience a major life change through the birth of of a child or becoming empty nesters or moving into retirement. Maybe you're facing health struggles that seem never-ending. Maybe you're worried about upcoming final exams or a final project in school. As Christians, we can have confidence in our faithful God. Because our God is faithful, we can have confidence in these things. Maybe you need confidence for things that have already occurred. Maybe you're like Israel at the end of this text and you need to look back on things with great confidence. Maybe you didn't respond correctly in the moment. Well, you can respond now. Maybe you've been sinned against and abused in the past and suffer with questions of why. Maybe you're still holding on to bitterness from something in your past. Maybe you're sitting here struggling with guilt from sin that you committed in the past. Listen, we often don't respond appropriately in the moment. But because our God is faithful, we can have confidence in his forgiveness from the things in our past 
We can have confidence in God that he will right the wrongs that have been committed against us. We can have confidence that even when we don't understand why something happened, our God is faithful and he's sovereign. Now, this text provides us with a right response. Because of the faithfulness of God, we can have confidence in him. But we also need to have a sober look of the consequences of responding incorrectly. Egypt rejected God. They forgot his work. And it was not until it was too late that they acknowledged him properly. The thing is, we will all respond appropriately at some point. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The question is, will it be too late? There's no flip-flopping in final judgment. We only have this light life to become right with the Lord. And we don't know how long that life will be. So if you're in here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I just want to ask, what's holding you back? Do you think that you have to be perfect? Look at Israel. You should be encouraged by their fickleness. You should be encouraged by how quickly they forgot about God. You don't have to be perfect. Look at Ephesians 2, what the text I just read. Do you know what we contribute to our salvation? The sin that makes it necessary. The point is that God is perfect. God is perfect. He is the Redeemer. He is the Savior. Place your faith in Christ and you will be forgiven. You don't know when your final day will be. You don't know that the drive home will be safe. We're not promised these things. Respond in faith today. As Christians, we can have confidence in our faithful God. Unbelievers, my prayer is that you would know this confidence as well. But it can only be found through faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you're faithful to a people as messed up as we are. Lord, I know that daily I find myself questioning you. Daily I find myself forgetting about your good works. Daily I find myself forgetting your good promises. I'm afraid, God. I fear when I shouldn't fear. I don't trust you like I should. But God, you are faithful. Lord, would you help us to rest in your faithfulness? Uh, and would you help us to respond in confidence because of the good work that you've accomplished? And Lord, I pray for those who are in here. They're maybe, maybe fighting this. They're, or maybe they're just thinking, I, I can do that later. I want to live my life now. Lord, give them confidence today because they deal with this. Lord, let us respond in faith to our faithful God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.